And what do we have today? Appendectomy. That is a medical procedure. That is not funny. That is not funny. That's not funny. I'm not doing the joke. I'm not doing the joke. They all expect it. Greg, turn on the fucking thank you. He was on it. He was on it before I was on it. All right, you guys, listen. We're all a huge part of the show, right? Better I am, better you are, better BJ is. That's great. Better than all of us, this lady right here. She says we're starting in 10 seconds. Uh, So that's a thing. Uh, We have Jordan Bloom on the show today. That's going to be super cool. Hive mind behind MODOK. Let's get nerdy. All right, everyone. Quiet on set, please. In five, four, three, two. Uh, So I was actually just just before you came on, Jordan, I I was thinking about Minor Threat and uh, the book Hench. And I want to ask you if you've read that. Um. I I think I might have read it a long time ago. Did that come out? Because there's like a few. I, have a, I know there's like Hench Girl is another book. And then there was Hench that yes. was just kind of like um, uh, like that uh, uh, Venture Brothers kind of vibe, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. think I might have read it. I'm not sure. I just – I love this genre. Like you write within my favorite genre of like – Super villains who are either maybe not as important as they'd like to be, as we saw with mm-hmm. Mo- as with your work in Modoc, and, and super villains who are just trying to rob banks and be left alone, uh, like we see in Minor Threat. So, I what what is it that kind of draws you to that genre? Um, I think I've always loved kind of uh, those types of of characters, especially in comics, whether it's like the Flashes rogues or even a lot of batman villains spider-man villains and i think they're they're very much a product of like the silver age bronze age comics where they're sort of sillier characters who are you know struggling to make sense in the modern age and uh that's sort of something we wanted to play with in minor threats is that almost the silver age of bronze age are coming to an end and this darker kind of, you know, Watchmen, Dark Knight Returns, 80s, comics are serious now, world is kind of pushing them out. And, um, you know, we wanted to do a story about those characters kind of trying to, you know, one last ditch effort to kind of get theirs and maybe get out or, uh, you know, make sense of their place in, in these changing times. And I don't know, I've always loved the career supervillain who doesn't have the aspirations of of taking over the world, who's, who's much more, you know, interested in like trying to knock over a jewelry store, you know, pay his alimony and, and have a beer at the end of the day with some other super villains and this kind of low level criminal. And, and to me, you know, I love crime fiction and specifically, uh, you know, the types of characters that I think that populate Coen brothers, you know, movies that are, are sort of the low level criminal who's, who's reaching, uh, you know, outside of, of, of their world to try and be a big, a part of something bigger and, and possibly failing at that. And I think we wanted to kind of merge those two worlds of the, the C-list supervillain and, you know, the low rent criminal from, from a lot of crime fiction that we like and, and kind of put those two things together. Now, just so we get, I want to make sure we get it in. Um, yeah. So people have to pre-order the comic at their local comic shops right now. So I just wanted to make sure we got that right off the bat. Oh yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah. It's, I'm learning this world. Uh, yeah, they, they have 
uh, a final order cutoff is August 1st, and then the comic comes out uh, August 24th. But really, you know, the best way to get it, to make sure you get it, is that you just let your local comic store know you want it. They'll order it for you, and then it'll be there uh, the day it comes out, you know. Um, so it's kind of to, – to get people excited about the book, you've got to really get out there early um, and start – trying to talk about it so that you know people are able to go do that yeah and well we're doing our part i have uh john my producers on on this episode recording we're going to turn this around uh and get it live <laughs> on saturday just so we can help get the word out um, i appreciate that thank you oh it's, it's our pleasure uh i'd like i'd like to ask you quick before these other standardized questions i have um mm-hmm. I want to ask you about the ending to Modoc. Um, specifically, there's a tease of the Infinity Gauntlet uh, in that last episode, and so I have to ask. I mean, I don't. You know, I, I hope that there's more episodes. I know the show uh, was already in a tough situation before it premiered with the with the changes on Marvel. But uh, what is there? Is there a? What would you like to tell people who might have caught that that one scene? Uh, well, if we were able to make more MODOK, we would have, um, definitely, you would have seen MODOK at, at full powers and, you know, I don't know if we were going to actually use it as the device that he fixes his current situation. I think it would actually be really funny that, you know, he's trying to figure out how to do it and he has it hanging right there, but it's just a decoration. <laughs> it would feel in the spirit of MODOK to overlook the obvious, uh, having a time gem there but um you know i think we wanted to just show that he had literally conquered you know the greatest forces of the marvel universe and and was just as miserable if not more than uh when he hadn't and and you know what what what's a better sign of that than uh the ultimate weapon in the marvel universe just just hang in there yeah are there other characters that that you wanted to work with um that maybe you work with in the future, maybe you won't, but like within the, the realm of MODOK, where there are people that you're like, I, I can't wait to play with these toys and just didn't get a chance to. Well, I'm, I'm the biggest X-Men fan in the world. So I tried to work in as many references as I could. Cause we had, we were making the show right around the time that Disney had purchased Fox. So we were like in the clear, but they still weren't sure, you know, kind of thing. So um, there's some of that in there. But uh, I guess I can't fully talk about it yet, but I will. I'm getting the chance to play with some of those characters right now in talks uh, for uh, something. But um, uh, in, in, in the comics world, not, not the, I'm not going to start a rumor that I'm writing the X-Men movie. <laughs> but uh, no, uh, I, I am, I'm getting a chance to, to touch some of those. Uh, so uh, that'll be really exciting to, to, to play in that sandbox. Yeah, and uh, the more Dazzler references, the better. You got it. <laughs> Every time. I love Dazzler. She's, she's one of my favorites. From the old... Let me ask you, did, where where does your your attraction to the character come from? Because for me, it's the X-Men arcade game. Yes. I mean, I, I was playing that simultaneously while I was taping Pride of the X-Men pilot off of uh, TV. So that was like the perfect storm of Dazzler. And then... Um, I love the Outback era of X-Men. Those were a lot of the comics I was reading at the time. Um, so, uh, yeah, she's the best. And, uh, I think they have some big plans with her in the comics. I saw she's getting, she's part of a series coming out soon. So, 
And I always love a good Pride of the X-Men reference. Not enough people <laughs> seem to remember. But it's so I, good. It it's is. Like Wolverine accent. It's amazing. And I have to tell you, like, it's, I think it's like 30 years on now, and the theme song is still stuck in my head. That's, like, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's the best. Uh, and um, I, I, I show it to my kids. Like I'm like, this holds up, right? And they're like, yeah, pretty good. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it's fine. It's not grainy youtube uh footage but sure <laughs> let me ask you about um the development of my of minor threats like when when did that start and what is there like a larger plan to continue to do more of those stories mm-hmm. um well it was funny because pat and i were talking about just things we loved in comics and uh obviously like in modok we 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 dipped into that world a little bit with, with his episode he wrote uh, about the bar with no name. And, um, and then he had had this idea he always wanted to do. That was possibly like a Batman story of like, what happens when the Joker holds Gotham city hostage and Batman is beating his way through the underworld to find the Joker and the justice league comes in and they're clamping down and you know uh, how, how much every time, this agent of chaos wants to kind of make a statement. It just ruins the lives of the little guys who are just trying to, you know, get by. And what happens if they kind of um, decided to take matters into their own hands and, and take the Joker off the table. And, um, and then we started talking about all these ideas we had for original characters. And, and I had long time ago written my own kind of, supervillain heist movie uh years ago so it you know i had ideas for kind of a story with these these types of characters we kind of merged these ideas and and minor threats was born out of that and i think um you know we haven't talked at all about scott hepburn our, our artist who's incredible um who we worked with on uh, Modoc head games with and what he started to kind of add to the project when we were developing it was we talked about like you know, uh, what does a city look like after it's weathered, you know, 60 years of, of superhero continuity, especially kind of the side of town that they're not that concerned with. And, uh, you know, we started pitching these ideas where there's just, you know, a bunch of a kaiju fell on the this, this end of the city and they superheroes just left it there. And then it decayed into bones and people just built housing around it. Like the idea that there's all these stories that had happened in the background but we wanted to tell the story of the little guys. And, you know, I think every page Scott's drawn, he's put in these little details that you're like, oh, I could see an entire story in this background gag, you know. And so we do have bigger plans um, to to kind of expand the world if, if we were given the chance to. Uh, right now, this, the Minor Threats series is a four-issue uh, limited series. They're kind of oversized issues that are going to be about 28 pages. So you're really getting like, you know, five issues all together, but we do have, have much bigger plans for what we'd love to, to do. And, and for us, you know, we, we kind of wanted to look at them as seasons and, um, you know, we were obviously having a blast playing with, with crime fiction, the various subgenres within that in, in the supervillain world. So, uh, our first arc, uh, is, is very much a kind of caper slash like, warriors we've got to survive the night and 
make it across the city kind of story that, you know, is almost told within 24 hours. Uh, and then, you know, our plans for the next story you know, feel more like a Godfather part two. So we wanted to, to kind of shake it up every time we would return to this world, you know, God willing that we get to, uh, and, and, and do a different sort of crime fiction story or subgenre that, that has a different feel to it. Hey, it's me, God. I know it's been a while and I haven't been the best dad, especially this century. Well, I was going through some shit and you know what? I'm not going to talk about it. All you need to know is that I'm doing commercials now. I've got bills to pay too. Do you have any idea how much I just lost on crypto? A lot. A lot. And so now God needs your money. Like, for real this time. Not like all those other times every Sunday. You know who else needs your money? B.J. Mendelson. So give them $5 by visiting buymeacoffee.com slash B.J. Mendelson. That website again is buymeacoffee.com slash B.J. Mendelson. Buymeacoffee.com slash B.J. Mendelson. And if you don't give BJ your money, you and I are going to have problems. Big ones. Commercials suck. And hopefully one day we won't need them. But until that day comes, we have bills to pay, brother. What the fuck is this copy? I I don't know, man. BJ wrote it, and I think he was high when he did it. How do you know he was high? I just, I read through it, and I just have a feel. I don't know, man. Just read it. (laughs) What kind of bills do we have to pay? Well, for starters, you wouldn't believe how much it costs to feed a super intelligent ape who wants to kill Superman. Yes. At first, he said he would pay BJ rent, but then some asshole told the ape about squatters' rights. Yep. He's a super villain, you know, so he stopped paying rent. Now we all kind of work for him. He's a terrible boss. One time he was eating some guy's face and just left the rest of him in the middle of the floor. I guess it's better than working at Amazon, though. Anyway, the apes got this cool ass setup in the basement of BJ's mom's house. You should see it. There's this kick-ass pool down there. I have no idea how you get a huge pool in the basement of a small house, but he found a way. Separate lines, he found a way. Now, if only the ape could remember to take out the garbage in his office before he leaves for the weekend. Everyone else does it. That includes Stephen Wheat, who works in accounting and shits out of his mouth? <laughs> anyway, that's what's going on here in Harriman, New York, home home of the... Yeah, man, I'm pretty sure he was high, but let's just get back to it. <laughs> now, let's get back to the show! And the art is spectacular. Uh, page 11 is actually... Like the going through the whole comic really stood out to me as just mm-hmm. tell, telling an entire just lifetime or just within that person's life. Well, I'm trying not to like give spoilers or anything. Like, no, you can. I, you I, can. What was the page? I haven't memorized our pages yet. It's <laughs> yeah. it's when uh, she our our main character is looking for work and everyone's kind of like you know you're, it's it's hard enough hiring one superhero but you're a superhero. Oh, I'm sorry, a meta but you're a meta with priors. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and then having her report to the parole officer about like where she is. I just thought like that was really it's it's beautifully portrayed that it's also like heartbreaking. Uh, oh, okay. So I really like the, the the pathos that that goes into the book. Um, yeah. So what was it like collaborating with this team? Like this is the art looks great. The lettering the, the lettering is really good. And you know, of course, the writing—the writing looks great. What's it like working together? Yeah, and and the colors too. I got to give a yes. shout out to. There was a lot of thought that went into that because we did talk a lot about the kind of more metatextual ideas of of characters from a different time period. You know, kind of being phased out of this darker, grittier world. So we wanted all of their costumes to really pop and feel kind of vintage silver, bronze age. You know, in this in this more kind of darker 80s, you know, Frank Miller-ish world that was kind of consuming it. So, um, you know, uh, all of that was was discussed, you know, very early on. And I think my big thing whenever I um, work in comics is to, like, how this is not take your screenplay and turn it into a comic book. It's like, this is its own medium. How do you best tell the story using the thing, the elements you have, the tools you have, and what can you only do in comics, you know, that you can't do elsewhere. So it's highly collaborative, especially with, you know, Pat and Scott and myself of, okay, you know, there's, I think there's a page in it where they're asking what happened to one of the supervillains who's looked like he just got his ass kicked and he's kind of splayed out on a table. And, you know, instead of doing a long montage, Scott just kind of putting these tiny little, like punches and kicks and impacts uh, to explain almost every injury on the character. And it was like, that's to me, the beauty of comics Like you can't do that in, in movies and TV. It's so specific uh, to the language of comics. So I think that's what Pat and I always ask ourselves is like, is there a better way to do this that embraces the, the style or the format? And then Scott will always find a better way to do it on top of that. And and I think we, we worked so well together on, on Modoc head games and you start to kind of really see, you know, what Scott likes to draw and what his strengths are. And you just want to write towards that. I think the, the, there's a misconception, I think from people in the TV and film world where it's like, you know, in that world, it's like, I'm the writer. This is my voice. This is what I want to happen. Like I'm driving this. Uh, there's a little, this is about me, you know, cause that's how, show running is it is your vision and and you're the final say but uh for comics it's a lot more about you know how do we make our artist who is the rock star of this format shine and we're playing back up to him so that's always something that's kind of in the forefront of our heads is like uh what's going to be the thing that scott knocks out of the park like he's directing this so how do we write towards that yeah, and I, I just I think that's well said. It's something that's come up a lot on this show. Of you know, you can't just port over a script for a movie. A, a comic is it's entirely its own beast. Uh, the comic page, the comic strip, it really feels like more like a dialogue between you and the artist and and your other collaborators than, than it is like an actual working uh, document. So I, that's that's a roundabout way of getting to. Um, I've read a lot of the American Dad episodes that that you that your name is attached to. Cause last year I had spent some time like putting together a spec strip for it. But I'm curious what your, what the difference is in the process between something like American dad versus something like minor threat for you, like uh, uh, mm-hmm. in terms of your contributions to the project. Yeah. Well, American dad is unique in that. Um, I think because it's been on so long and uh, you know, there's, there's such a, 
understanding of who the characters are and, and the types of stories that are told, the showrunners give you a lot of freedom to really kind of bring in your own stories and see your own episode all the way through. Um, even, you know, very early on, I think when I was maybe a story editor or something like that, I was allowed to kind of, you know, run my own room. And, uh, and that to me was also my, you know, my favorite part of that was just kind of building these stories out with the incredible, um, writing staff, you know, that we had. And, and, uh, so there was a lot of flexibility that you don't see on a lot of other shows, um, where a lot of times you're serving the showrunner and their voice and, you know, you're going to get heavily rewritten and, and, you know, but on American Dad, it was, I think it's kind of an anomaly <laughs> where you, you really have this autonomy, uh, to kind of, of tell your story. So that was something that was super kind of unique, but you're definitely, you know, uh, working again to, to, to kind of work within the confines of what's been established. And I think, um, you know, something, especially something like minor threats, we, we were trying to subvert, I guess, the, the, the confines of, of comics and what we know and, and the kinds of stories we've, we've, we've been told of, of, you know, the big A-list hero versus the big, a-list villain and and seeing it from their point of view so we, we looked at tropes and tried to subvert them um you know in in ways that we hope we thought were fresh and again to tell the stories of the guys who are usually um you know like webbed up by spider-man in the cold open before he goes off to fight doc Ock. i think you know we stayed with those guys and we see what their lives are like and what they're going through and what makes them human and, and why they chose these lives and what they want out of them. So I think to me, it, it reminded me a lot of, um, there's that Buffy episode, I think in, I don't know, maybe season three or two where, um, there's a huge world ending thing going on, but you follow Xander, who's a side <laughs> character on it. And instead, of, and there's like kind of this a list story, spilling into the a story spilling into the b story that the b story though has become the a story and i always love that so we try to do that with with minor threats where like there is a giant uh you know our vigilante versus the the big supervillain who's who's taken the city hostage but that's not what our story is about you know it's just there on the fringes i think of of the story we're actually telling yeah, it feels like it really feels like a lived-in universe right from the first issue, which which I think was was really cool. Um, let me ask you what what would be your advice to writers that, that might be watching this, either for comics or television, really, uh, in terms of like best practices or things that they they should focus and learn about. Yeah, um, I mean, comics is tough because you can there's there's not as much like formatting and and this is how you write one of these like i've gone out and i've read as many comic scripts as i could and um you know i was very lucky that i had some friends that gave me theirs uh jerry duggan gave me like a whole bunch of scripts and then the comics next to them so i could kind of see how they matched up and it was super helpful um but i almost feel like just having read comics my entire life i've kind of been secretly prepping you know to to jump into them and and um but you know there are little things that you don't realize until um you get to different stages in it you know i think it's it's very easy to 
overwrite a comic if you're coming from the world of TV and and film because you know you're you want to write characters and you want to write dialogue and it's it's such a more visual medium that you start to see how much heavy lifting the art does and how your stupid words are getting in the way of this beautiful art and you know you can hack them down so i mean thank god you know for the lettering stage because you get to see it all and you're like oh my god there's balloons everywhere and i even (laughs) still think in issue one like i wish there was places i could have cut down you know more it's all i see are like you know, oh, I knew I know the art that's behind that balloon, and I wish we could could have shown that instead of having one more line there. So I think that's like a really difficult thing to wrap your head around is um, how to write. I mean, like screenwriting already is there's a level of minimalism to it, but comics takes it to like a whole other level, I think. Um, and and um, yeah, and just kind of figuring out um, how to kind of lay out a page mentally and, and figure out what the page turns will be. That's another thing you don't think about in, in TV or film is like, there's gotta be something that makes someone go, you know, usually you have, you know, uh, act breaks, you know, so people don't leave during commercials, but here's every page almost has to have something that, that makes you want to see what's going to happen next. So those are all kind of things to, to learn and, and also how to let it breathe, you know, like not to do six panels, every page like you know this one should be two this one we need a splash page here and just let scott go crazy and and you know it feels like a big exclamation point to the to to the issue to to let those moments happen so i think a lot of that you start to to figure out just by by doing it and um and then looking at other comics and being like why does this flow so well like flow is so important to comics let me ask you what's is there anything out there that you're reading right now that that you really enjoy. Yeah. Um, like I said, it's a great time to be an X-Men fan. I think all the, the Hawksbox stuff and the Dawn of X, everything that came out of that has been fantastic. Um, Spider-Man, um, that Wells just started on and yes. has already like knocked it out of the park. Uh, on the DC side, I've been, re- I've been really loving like flash. No one's talking about. And it's like, it really reminds me of like the Mark Wade stuff. Um, I've been, you know, the bat books are always, always amazing. Um, and then I feel like there's a ton of DC stuff I've been, been loving and now I'm having a hard time recalling it. I mean, human target, like when, when Tom King's on, it's, he's untouchable. And I think that that book's been, been amazing, especially clearly, I think you can tell, I love pulpy noir as we are leaning into it in minor threats. So, um, it was so, it was so cool to see him, you know, do that. And Greg Smallwood's art, you know, nailing that kind of paperback cover, you know, pulpy noir cover. Um, so, and then I'm trying to think what outside of that, if there's anything I've been going back, honestly, and, and rereading a ton of back issues. Um, I've done a whole justice league international reread and it's been a blast. I love those characters. So I like to kind of balance it out. You know, I, I'm, I'm at the store every week, probably buying around like 12 comics a week. And then also <laughs> trying to go back and do, you know, pick a title and just do a full read through. Nice. Uh, so before I get to my last question, let me just, where can we find you? Where can we follow you online and order your minor threat? Mm-hmm. Um, you can find me, I'm on Twitter and Instagram under, uh, uh, at Bloom Jordan and, uh, for minor threats. Um, 
I saw there are shops that you can just order online and they will pre-order and ship it to you uh, is one way to do it. But, um, you know, really just uh, just call whatever your local shop is and ask them to get it. And if you forget, I'm sure there'll be copies available uh, when it comes out, August 24th. And if you're in the L.A. area, uh, Pat and Scott and I are planning on doing some signings and some events, uh, at, one at Golden Apple for sure. Nice. Uh, we're, he's going to be doing some sketching and we're going to, uh, raffle off some original art and stuff. We want to make it worth your while to come out and support the book. So, uh, we're, we're really excited to just get out there. There's a, very much more of like a grassroots marketing for comics than there is in, in TV. And a lot of it is, you know, the dark horse has been fantastic with, uh, lining up artists to do variants and getting the word out. And then, you know, it's kind of up to you to also push it. Uh, so it's, it's fun to get your hands dirty, you know, instead of having some giant, you know, Hulu marketing machine, uh, doing it for you, you get to go out there and meet people and sell your book to them. Yeah. And golden apples is one of my favorite stores. Like it's, it doesn't, it's not like the most visually impressive store, but that's what I love about it. It's just comics, man. It's just wall-to-wall comics. Yes, and it's this like staple that's been there. It's a family-run business. Uh, they've been so supportive, especially you know if you're a customer there. They have a lot of customers who have projects and stuff, and they really get behind you and try and and, and get the word out. So um, they've been they've been amazing on both Modoc and for for minor threats coming up. So the last question is: What's one thing you've always wanted to be asked in an interview, but you just haven't been asked yet? Oh man, that is a tough one. Uh, uh, let's see. Um, no one ever. Huh. What's my fa- No one ever asked me what my favorite toy is. We always talk comics. No one ever talks toys. What's your favorite toy? I love the anything from the superpowers line. Yes. Uh, from the eighties, those are so special those are my favorite sculpts they were perfect i they hit all the random characters i had my firestorm all the ones that you would never expect to see and i the packaging design is like my favorite graphic design of all time Same. so yeah. Same. that was that was a big part of my childhood i looked forward to going to the grocery store because i knew that there would be a new one there uh, <laughs> very cool. uh that was great thank you thank you so much i'll, I'll just hit stop you know I'm pretty I'm pretty upset that the Mets are good now. Why is that? Because now we can't experience things like when they had a 97-year-old pitching coach. You mean Phil Regan? Yeah, th- that guy who played for the Brooklyn Dodgers. That team hasn't even existed for 65 years. Like, do you understand how close we all came to having this super old guy coaching the Mets? Do you understand the kind of comedy gold that could have been, like right now when we need laughter the most? He probably wouldn't even remember who was on the team. Regan would be in the dugout chewing tobacco and saying shit like, send in Willie Mays. And then one of the guys on the bench would be like, coach, Willie Mays is dead. And then Regan would be like, the hell he is, get him in there. I don't think Willie Mays is dead. He's not. And I hope Willie Mays lives forever, I really do. But Willie Mays also hasn't played for the Mets since 1973. Anyway, I just want people to understand the potential joy that we're all deprived of now that the Mets are good. Hmm. Well, that's all for this week. If you enjoyed this episode of Weiwo.tv, you know what you need to do. Rate us and leave us a review wherever your favorite podcast can be found. That'll help people find this show and hopefully enjoy it as much as you did. 
you did enjoy the show, right? We're going to assume you did, because you made it to the outro. Most people don't. Be sure to follow BJ on Instagram at BJ Mendelssohn and tell him who you'd like to see interviewed next. You can also text your suggestions to BJ at 646-331-8341. But don't call that number. BJ says he's only going to answer if you're Melissa O'Neill from ABC's The Rookie. Also, only if you're going to ask him out on a date. We'll see you next time. Right?